Hello and welcome to the Millennial Misfits podcast. This is the ultimate place for the seekers, the rebels, and those who represent the shades of gray and the areas in between intersectionality in marginalized communities. Now, this is the third episode titled Basha Bazi, and similar to last week's episode on violence-based homophobia, this is a very interesting yet very sad topic that we will be getting into and really dissecting with Meryl today. She is our in-residence expert on this topic and she has a lot to say about it. Um, Just for context, this week's social case is going to be taking place in Afghanistan, as we will find out, and um, the tradition of what Bajabazi is. And so Meryl, first of all, um, the, the first question that I wanna ask you is, what is Bashabazi? What does it mean? And tell us, tell the, the listeners about this horrific tradition. Thank you, Karim. Um, and as you said, this is a really sad topic. Uh, and I will definitely issue a trigger warning because this does discuss sexual abuse of minors. It discusses psychological and physical abuse, and it talks, and we're going to discuss the political context um, in Afghanistan as well, which is mired um, in tragedies. So for anyone who is sensitive to this topic, um, please take notice that this is one of those. So Bachabazi, loosely translates to boy play and it comes from an imp it was imported into Afghanistan by the Greeks by Alexander the Great himself as a tradition called pederastry that was essentially a tradition in the ancient Greek world where older men would provide education protection provision for younger boys And younger boys in return would offer, well, they wouldn't offer, but they would give their bodies over for sexual pleasure. And it's unfortunate, it is embarrassing as someone who is part Afghan, that this tradition is prevalent in Afghanistan and Pakistan and some other other areas, but particularly in Afghanistan. And what boy play means, and even the name itself is derogatory because it reduces these boys to playthings, to toys, to um, sexual slaves who have no autonomy over themselves. And what this is, Karim, is the sexual trafficking the exploitation and the sexual, physical and emotional abuse of underage boys. So you have wealthy, powerful men who are mostly ex-commanders, people who are people who are part of the government, people who are statesmen. These are people who are the creme de la creme of Afghan society, of Afghan male patriarchal society, who take boys from as young as six years old and they keep them as sexual concubines, as like a harem, like like one of those Ottoman harems, but far more sinister, and they keep them from the age of 7 to 25 as sexual slaves. And in return, they offer, in a poverty-ridden country like Afghanistan, they offer money, they offer provision, and they offer some form of protection, although we are still to understand as Afghans ourselves, what kind of protection you could be having if you're, you know, 
if your soul is being damaged every day by such a, a phenomena. So this issue is interesting, Karim, because it touches on what millennial misfits represents um, and all the kind of the facets that we discuss in our podcast, because it brings to light the sexual culture of the conservative um, Afghan, of a conservative Afghan society where there is no open discussion of sex there is no talk of it. It is talked about on the back streets with young boys, but it is hardly spoken in dignified, um, open, strategic, measured and responsible um, uh, you know, areas or places for discussion. And then it also looks at the open and the gross violation of the human right of human rights of minors. And so it really brings to light this horrible truth, this terrible reality that we have a culture in Afghanistan where homosexuality is akin to perversion. It is the lowest form of male identity that one can take, but at the same time, boys from as young as six, seven years old are kept by these men and violated until they're 25 and then cast out into the world and then forced to normalize again. So it really brings up this terrible question of, is this repressed homosexuality or is this outright pedophilia? And we try to discuss this today, as well as bring to light awareness of what seems to be a topic that no one is discussing. Like yeah. many things in Afghanistan, they don't talk about it beyond the war. Wow, that is very, very interesting and, um... It, nobody really is aware of, of what is happening, you know, especially in the Western world. This is, um, whilst I was hearing you, something that I, I was pondering on, why hasn't this been talked about at, you know, at the lengths that it should be talked about? Why hasn't more um, awareness been, been had for this, for this horrific tradition? Is it because it takes place, you know, out of sight, out of mind? Is it because, you know, in the West, they don't want to concern themselves with such, such savagery, it, it may seem, you know, this, this is a savage tradition. It is something that um, people are uncomfortable to, to, to talk about and to actually, you know, conversate with somebody else about. So, um, yeah, that's something that was in my mind the whole time that you were speaking, this sort of taboo mm -hmm. nature that enshrouds this conversation. And so based on what Bajabazi is and the sort of taboo sense that we get from it, nobody really speaks about it, but people still engage with it. Yeah. How, how could this come about? What are the grounds for Bajabazi, Meryl? What, what keeps this tradition alive as well? That's a really interesting, um, great question. Um, but I think to sort of answer your first question, um, and, you know, I guess how, or I guess let's talk about the why just in brief, and then we'll go into the how. I think the problem, let's start off with there. This is, we like to blame the West for everything, right? And people have called me sort of a self-hating woman of, of woman of color, but I really think that when it comes to this, this is a problem that was, that is forged by the Afghans and kept alive by the Afghans. This is where the West takes a step back 
in some ways, because this is a tradition, and we'll get onto it a little bit, you know, but I just want to sort of put a drop into the ocean for now. Um, this is something that is instigated by powerful people, right? So there is an, a, a, a bubble of protection around this. Men are not held accountable for their actions. Even in Afghan society, in a, in a typical Afghan household, not all, all of them, but in the majority of them, we have to say this because I've also experienced it, the men are allowed to do what they want and they're not questioned. Whatever they do, even sometimes when a man cheats on his wife, that is not something that's discussed. Whereas a woman is kept as a source of accountability for the entire family and for the entire household and for the entire community. So what we have is this very, very imbalanced um, uh, dynamic of, of responsibility where you have it all on the shoulders of the, of the females to keep themselves morally pure and virgin in all senses of the word. <laughs> but then with men, you have this complete lack of accountability where they're allowed to do as they wish and no one questions the man it really is as black and white as that there really aren't there many peripheries or gray areas and i think the fact that homosexuality is so taboo that those who are and this does happen those who are homosexual they don't find they, they don't see an opportunity to have a consensual relationship with men of their age, because men will not come out and say that, men will not practice that um, in a way that is consensual. So some of them have said that we've resorted to that because of our sexual repression. But again, um, that needs a lot more context, um, you know, before we kind of go ahead. But really the, the grounds for um, Bachabazi. And once we understand the grounds, we can understand why this happens in a vacuum, why this happened, why this doesn't happen in a vacuum, but people treat it, treat it as if it is separate to the rest of Afghan society, as if it doesn't have an impact, nor, nor does Afghanistan's socio-political culture impact this because it's so hated, uh, and yet it's 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 nothing, nothing is being done to, to eradicate it. So the first ground is, I guess, terribly dismal, Karim. Um, there is a lot of inter-ethnic conflict and ethnicity-based selection and abuse of people in Afghanistan. So it's a remarkably hierarchical, hierarchical system where you have a particular ethnic minority that dominates the the niche that dominates the higher positions in society and they essentially reign over and select almost like a nepotistic um, society a tribalistic society where the lawyers the doctors the most educated the people who live in the better places, the, the richer places, the safer places, they mostly comprise of a particular ethnic minority. And then the rest of the minorities, the, the, the lower minorities, the lower ethnic classes, as, as, as Afghans have, have systematically organized, they fall into this pyramid hierarchy. And so what happens is you have this established innate racist hierarchy that gives one particular ethnic minority precedent, priority, privilege. And then what happens 
is that you have the lower minorities, the lower class, the, 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 the less socially privileged who are attacked and um, targeted by that higher racial uh, group. And so a way of keeping the ethnic minorities in positions of subservience and submission, what they do is they attack where it hurts and they get at the souls and the minds and the inner identities of boys from those particular ethnic groups. So we have the Hazara people who have been discriminated against throughout Afghan history, who are being targeted as we speak by the Taliban, now with Western withdrawal of Afghanistan's, um, in Afghanistan, who are particularly subject and um, open and vulnerable to this, because firstly, they are, they are predominantly taken, they probably predominantly take on skilled, um, unskilled labor jobs because of their position in the ethnic ethnicity hierarchy in Afghanistan. And so they're more likely to experience poverty, which then places them in a more vulnerable position to accept money in exchange for their bodies. And so you've got Tajik, Hazara and Uzbek boys who are the lower, who are at the lower levels of the ethnicity pyramid and who are particularly targeted because there is a saying, there is, a, there is a, an intention um, that, and this is very psychological as well. If you want to keep someone at their knees, if you want to keep someone from striving for a better future, you put obstacles in place where they're so concerned with their survival that they never reach to thriving, right? So, you know, God forbid, Karim, you know, you and I were uh, Hazara boys in Afghanistan. And we had the predominant um, Pashtun um, majority um, who have established this social hierarchy. People don't like to talk about it, but we will. And we, you and I want to go into school. We want to study. We want to become a doctor. How likely is that going to happen if you and I have been, you know, taken advantage of, raped, sexually harassed, given drugs at such a young age? Are we likely to be motivated? Are we likely to want to strive for a better future if we're battling addiction, PTSD, depression, uh, a, la a reduction of sexual, I mean, the colossal impact that emotional neglect and sexual abuse can have on a child can set them out for life. It can set them out for, to be more likely to, um, to be incarcerated, to have, uh, addiction problems to develop heart disease and so by hitting it where it hurts early on they damage the chance of a normal life and they put them in a position where it could take decades for them to unravel the abuse that was done to them wow Meryl again yeah. that segment <laughs> where do we even start um I can't quite get my head around the fact that there's so much um there's so many racial dynamics and hierarchies and pyramids, shall we say, within minorities and within sort of developing countries that are at conflict with each other. And it really, it really um, drives home the fact that it might not be sort of a Western thing, but you can't help but 
I'm just very torn at the situation because I feel like, do, do you feel like um, Western sort of standards of marriage and heteronormativity has had an impact on Bashabati, even though it takes place in a, you know, in a completely different sphere? Oh goodness, no. I really, I really do think, Karim, I think that what the West could have done, and we'll get to that with the with the with 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 its with its role, but I think just very briefly, mm-hmm. um, the West has very little role in this because you know, remember, you know, ancient, the ancient Greeks, they were a European um, exactly. establishment, and then it came into Afghanistan. And so I really think that maybe <laughs> it was, it was, it was the East here that was, that's influencing, um, you know, the normalcy of heterosexuality, or I think it was something that was established as, as a norm to begin with. So I really think that this is a very particular Afghan problem. I think what the West has done is it's mingled, it's interfered, it's thrown the fire and it's given the means, um, the arms, I guess, for such um, ethnic, um, I would say, apartheid to happen in Afghanistan. But I really think this is something that the Afghans are ultimately responsible for. Because, you know, as they say, people are responsible, you know, you you aren't responsible for what happened to you, but you are responsible for healing from it. And so I really think this is something that the West can't doesn't really have much of an influence on, um, right. because this is something that is very particular to the Afghan cause. And so you know, of course, years and years, and this is where it could come in. So maybe we can talk about this. But one of the other grounds for the for the normalization of something as perverted and as heinous as Bachabazi is the prevalence of PTSD and mental illness in Afghanistan. And so as you can understand, Karim, years and years of invasion, years of war, years of poverty, years of displacement, um, years and years of Western intervention and the desecration, the, 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 the toppling of a great um, country as Afghanistan was in the 60s and for it to degenerate into uh, a martyr's um, a graveyard that has had a huge impact on the mental health and the mental capacity and the normalization um, of adverse practices in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that is a huge part of it, something that the West, um, I don't think will ever take responsibility, but has a huge, huge way of, of adding, um, you know, f- f- fueling the fire for this to continue. Because if you look at some of the documentaries, Karim, you, it's very clear that the people who perpetrate, not all of them, but it's very clear just as someone who has gone through mental health and has been, you know, has had to research into into mental health privately, I'm not sort of qualified at all, but I'm deeply passionate about it. And it's very clear that these people are ill. They are mentally unwell. Their actions, their preferences, the things that they do, the things that they allow, the things that they allow to be done to them are clearly um, meant, are, 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 are the actions of someone who perhaps needs psychiatric help. And so you don't just see that in terms of the sickness of 
of Bachabazi to, to do that to a young child and to allow for that to happen and to go to the extent of, of what, what happens to, to, those, to those boys. But you also see it in the way that um, Afghan people speak to each other, the things that they allow. So for example, domestic violence is considered to be normal. I mean, can you imagine a society that normalizes domestic violence? Where on earth would we be? What on earth would we do? Mm -hmm. Infidelity isn't considered to be a thing. You have honor killings in Afghanistan. You have people who have, you know, unfortunately burnt their, burnt their daughters alive because they have decided they've dared to fall in love with someone that the family don't want. This is not a society that where normalcy is the norm. Wow. We don't have a sense of logic, right? We don't have a sense of that. That's why, you know, even for me, when I grew up, in an Afghan environment. So my, my mom's family, they're not Afghan, but hers, her family dotted across the world. My dad's family are part Afghan. And I was around these norms and, and it made me physically unwell. It caused a mental condition within me called borderline personality. And looking back now, it was because there was a normalization of what could never be normalized putting down women in several thousand different ways. Narcissism is celebrated in Afghanistan. The more manipulative you are, the more intelligent you are. This is not a society that goes by the norm. And rather than looking at, at Afghan people, and I'm part of them, as these people who are just sick, we ought to look at them as people who are in grave need of, of healing and of help, because I can only imagine what years and years of displacement. I mean, right now, Corinne, we're talking and, you know, I can hear a bomb blasting, right? You've had people who've lost their best friends. You've had years and years and years of pillaging, of rape, these things that have allowed something as perverse to be normalized. And what that has done is when you go through such terror, you also experience a lack of accountability. What happens is that when war comes in, when displacement comes in, a country divides into the winners and the losers, right? So you have the very, very rich, the extremely rich, and then you have the very, very poor. And what that does is it means that because there isn't a middle class, there isn't a balance of power, there isn't a balance of accountability. And that leads us to the third ground, which is, Afghanistan being a rogue state, you've got widespread corruption, Karim. You've got legal and social ambiguity. There's no express provision in the constitution of Afghanistan on what Bachabazi is, and neither is it ever used as a grounds for legal persecution. And as I mentioned before, these are powerful men. These are men who can bribe the government, can bribe the police, who can pay enough to get themselves out of a rape case if it ever, ever comes to court. So the fact that you've been given such um, uneven, um, uh, unequal distribution of power amongst a select few, a select uh, elite people, and not to say this doesn't happen in the West. I mean, even Trump has never been brought to court for the underage um, molestation orders, uh, cases that he's had against. We're not perfect, the West is not perfect but there is a particular imperfectibility, imperfection that we see in Afghanistan that seems to be very, very, very unique to this country.
And so I think that the lack of accountability, the corruption, the and what the mental illnesses and the normalcies that this has created has allowed for um, Bechabazi to become this thing that is untouchable, unreachable, and cannot be held, cannot be brought to account. It's almost as if it's outside of the peripheries of social justice. It's this, it's this kind of, um, this thing that no one talks about, no one can handle, and people who have tried to um, do something about this have been killed. Yeah. Because the very people who run the country are the very perpetrators of this disgusting practice. That is a very, very interesting point that you made there um, with regards to Bashabazi existing outside the peripheries of you know, social justice. And I think what I'm getting at now and what I'm understanding more, it is such a complex issue. Like, I thought it was complex to begin with, but now, you know, hearing you and really conversing about the topic, it is so, so complex. And you can tell that you've done a lot of research on this. And I think at the core, Basha Bazi is reflective of how so social justice in Afghanistan is, is not the same as, you know, other places in the world. And it's, and it's reflective of a society, as you said, who, whose normalcy is not what we, <laughs> what we would coin as normal. Um, from the normalization of, you know, violence, um, domestic violence, uh, you mentioned honor killings, not only, you know, within, within sort of relationships, but also within family as well. Like you said, you know, daughters being burnt, um, gay men having their heads, you know, <laughs> you know, chopped off, <laughs> trigger warning. Um, and th these are stories that you do hear in the news. And when you put it in that context, it doesn't surprise me that Bashabazi is, is enabled. Do you get me? It doesn't, it, it, it is a shocking and horrific um, tradition, but it doesn't surprise me that it, it is still thriving because you, you, just, you just have to look at the context of the situation. If you allow honor killings, if you allow the, the normalization of, of domestic violence, then the lines between what is just and what is unjust, they just completely fade away, completely. And um, yeah. you said before as well, when you were explaining about how these, these boys, they are promised, you know, social security, they are promised uh, provisions, they are promised, you know, uh, maybe more wealth, protection. And the very same men that are promising this are the ones that, you know, have, have allowed this horrific tradition to, to perpetuate. And I don't think they realize that they are wrong. Do you get me? There's a difference. You know, when they say like ignorance is bliss, the most, the most dangerous type of person is the person who doesn't realize that they, their evil doings are evil. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Karim, you just said it. I mean, it, you know, that's amazing because Karim, you're looking into this from a bird's eye view and you completely understood it. They don't think this is wrong because 
the society doesn't bring them to account. They are almost rewarded for doing these things. It's a form of pleasure. It's a form of enjoyment, of entertainment. It's an entitlement that they have been bred to to take in, to, to, to shroud themselves with. What does that do? It tells you that you're doing nothing wrong. Wealth allows you to be excused from morality, from accountability, from decency. That is so dangerous. That is very, very chilling to hear. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know what's, what's more terrifying, the actual tradition or the grounds for it. Um, that is truly shocking to hear. And so yeah. moving, moving the conversation on, um, when we have this, this debate between, is it straight up? pedophilia or is it repressed sexuality as as a queer person and as somebody who strives to represent lgbtq and to destigmatize i'm saying it right now um repress sexual repression might be a factor but i think you've made it clear meryl that this this goes beyond sexuality this goes way beyond sexuality. Um, and I, I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to associate what is happening, you know, in Afghanistan, Bashabazi, directly to the LGBTQ or being sexually repressed because there have been many, many, many people, you know, the entire community, there's an entire community that has been sexually repressed. And this this Bashabazi tradition doesn't exist in the same form in the West. Um, so I don't want, you know, the LGBTQ community to be attached to what's going on in Afghanistan. Although I can appreciate and understand that sexual repression has something to do with it. What are your thoughts? First and foremost, Meryl. Yeah, I mean, this is just the core of the question, isn't it? And it's something that we're sort of, as Afghans, we're banging our heads against walls going, what the hell is this, Karim? What is this? Because what is so hurtful is that um, we don't know. There's a smoke screen. you see. Is this paedophilia? Is this just straight up perversion beyond belief? Or repressed homosexuality? Because what we do, like you said, is then we attach the practice of homosexuality that in and of itself has nothing to do with perversion, nothing to do with, um, you know, with, with, with abuse. And then you have um, this, this very real, very, very dire reality that homosexuality is in a, in a, in a, in a conservative Muslim uh, state, a Republic. It is, it is heinous. It is, it is, punishable by death. I mean, it, that's what it is. And it's got nothing to do with, with the religion, but more so with the culture, because there are some very um, strong ideas of what a man and what a woman should be. But then at the same time, as much as we say that, the women understand that the man is doing this with younger boys. And there is a very well-known Pashto phrase that says, Women are for children, as in women are good for children, and boys are for pleasure. And you think, what is that? I mean, let's just sit there and think about this. 
because I still I don't have an I don't have an answer, you know, Karim, because we would be able to have an answer if homosexuality, the homosexual movement, the liberation of LGBTQ people in Afghanistan did happen. We don't have that. We we have none of it. People can never come out and say we're gay. These men will never say they're gay. They'll say we're heterosexual, but we practice this. This is what we like. So again, what, what, what do you see how we have, <laughs> and you can probably hear, I'm just sort of fluttering because what can we say this is? Because someone who is homosexual says, this is my sexual preference. This is who I identify myself to be. And a lot of homosexual people will not, and correct me if I'm wrong, will not say that I'm heterosexual, but I prefer young boys. I mean, what kind of a sexual identity are we talking about here? Exactly. And, yeah. And so exactly. that, that is where it makes no sense. And this is why it's tainted. It's tainted. This whole idea is tainted. And so some of them, you sit down or you talk about this with Afghans and they say, the, the liberals, the ones who are more westernized, they say, this is definitely repression. I mean, this is because they're not allowed, uh, you know, and all that sexual repression goes and, and it makes them desperate. And what makes them, and, and, and as a way of um, escaping accountability, escaping people knowing, and because remember Karim, that this is, um, this is this happens in a bubble. This happens in the hills. This happens in private parties that are guarded by guards. This happens in 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 you know elite exclusive parties, um, you know, as a way of escaping accountability, as a way of ensuring that 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 no one hears about this because the boys aren't aren't, aren't ever going to speak out against this, are they? They're never going to go to the police. They're never, the, the, the other men are never going to, let's say, rat each other out. I can practice my sexual preference in this, in this, in this way. But at the same time, what you don't hear, what you, what, what was very interesting is that, and this is where it becomes more pedophilia. And that's what, it, this is what, it's not comforting, but I'm certainly glad that this thought has just come up in my, you know, with the discussion that we're having. Because, you know, see what's really funny, Karim, and I'll, and I'll see what you think about, and tell me what you think about this. They take them at seven, which is where they are physically ambiguous, right? They are neither male or female looking in terms of their body shape, in terms of their physical structure. You know, children tend to look the same until they go through puberty, right? Like physically. Um, so they take them at seven and then a lot, like maybe 90% of, 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 of the cases before the, before the child, air quote, expires, the moment that they start developing male or um, masculine features, they're tossed and a new boy comes in. So they keep them up until puberty rears its face and rears its head. So I don't know, I'm not part of the LGBTQ community. I don't understand the, 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 the different areas of attraction in that. Um, and so you tell me, Corinne, because 
when once once puberty hits once that once they develop a beard once they develop the the adam's apple once they become more masculinely shaped physically they're tossed out and they're considered to be expired mm-hmm. what where does that leave us is that homosexuality is so, that pedophilia <laughs> i have made up my mind just as you were saying all that i i now have an official stance on on what's going on. So my my verdict, it is not repressed homosexuality and it's far from it. And my thoughts or my, my, my trail of thoughts and how I got to this conclusion. So in the LGBTQ community, there is no sexuality for pedophiles. You know, pedophilia is not a sexuality. And it is not because People in people in the LGBTQ, they, they they can be attracted to men, to women, to non-binary, transgender, whatever. Absolutely, you know, whatever a person identifies as. But there is a theme, a recurring theme. Everybody is over a certain age. Nobody accepts or you know validates somebody who says, not that I've ever heard somebody say, I am attracted to people younger or to underage people you can have a preference say oh I normally go for somebody that's older than me or I normally go for somebody who's a bit younger than me that is completely completely fine however there there, there is a recurring theme a factor underage you know underage people are not sort of made into a an attraction a sexuality so People can be sexually repressed, the LGBTQ society has, but you don't have to date or, you know, have sexual relations with minor because you are sexually repressed. There is no correlation there. If you are sexually repressed, by all means, go and liberate yourself sexually, but with somebody that's of age. Do you understand that? It's 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 not yeah. a, a one plus one equals two, so sexual repression plus um you know se- sexual repression plus underage children equals rights no there there is no correlation it's it's still underage and um yeah this is a stereotype of the, one of the most dangerous ones that that um the lgbtq want to sexualize children and that you know there is a there is yeah. a understanding that you can be sexually attracted to children no that 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 is not the case and going on from that I feel like the situation, how you've explained Bashabazi, how you have sort of informed myself and our listeners, you can tell that it goes beyond sexual repression. If they were not sexually repressed, I believe, or if the men in the society was were, you know, were able to have sex with 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 whoever they want to, I still believe that Bashabazi would still exist. I love that. I love that. And I think that that is so valuable, Karim. And so what we can do, firstly, to be a supporter of human rights and to look and to enable for the widespread understanding of this topic is to spread awareness. I really, you know, as much we started this podcast with pure intentions of of information, of awareness, but I really do want this episode to be shared by yourselves, to be 
researched on, to be looked into. This is a dire, dire issue that needs more awareness. Sometimes we say in social justice movements, especially now, okay, we've got the awareness, we've got the information, what do we do? But this is unique, guys, because this is a topic that no one knows about. And I say no one because the majority of people have never heard of this. And so awareness is the first thing that we can look at when it comes to forging a way into reversing this terrible tradition, because it's the lack of awareness, it's the lack of understanding as to how this comes about that allows for this to continue in that bubble and to be more cemented and concreted and grown every year because people don't know about it. And so that's where we begin. We begin with the awareness, we begin with the understanding, we begin with social boycotting of this movement, and then we can plow into the attitudes, the rising of the people against, in Afghanistan, against this tradition, because unfortunately the government will do very little for this, but I really think the people can. Mm -hmm. And can I just say as well, um, we, we begin by just simply speaking about it. We have to understand that, you know, just because something doesn't happen in front of our eyes, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen at all. And that is something that, that is very powerful once, once you truly understand that, you know, just by speaking about it, we are already, you know, starting that rippling effect. It might take, you know, many, many, many years, hundreds of years, whatever. But just by talking about it now, the butterfly effect exists and we, we will um, definitely see progression if we carry on speaking about it. So that leaves us at the end of the episode. And um, it has been a very, very insightful episode, hasn't it, Meryl? Um, thank you so, so much for providing all that knowledge, all that expertise, all that true reality. Um, and we cannot wait to, for, for all of you guys to hear this and for all of you guys to, I guess, have a newfound knowledge of, of one of the terrors that is happening, you know, in, in countries that we are not as informed about. Um, and also, as always, looking forward to hearing feedback and for next week's episode, which will also be a fantastic, fantastic topic discussion. Um, this is now our third episode, and I feel like we are getting very, very confident and very um, capable of, you know, providing some good food for thought, a meal for thought, three-course meal for thought, and as always, love from both of us, true millennial misfits coming to you from our homes <laughs> and um, always wishing you the best. And thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week.